This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 96, Top 5 Favorite Guilty Pleasure Comics. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. Uh, this is our episode looking at our, guess what, Top 5 uh, Guilty Pleasure Comics. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and my guest today is... Tom Kerr. Now, we're doing this, uh, we're recording this back on July, July 2nd. This is our very first inventory episode. So basically, <laughs> uh, just like in comic books where they sometimes will just put together issues and then put it in a drawer and then eventually when they need to fill in, they'll take it out. Uh, this is our opportunity to uh, do an episode that actually I'm really excited about doing, which is our Guilty Pleasure Comics. But mm-hmm. I don't have a spot in the schedule in July, but I know that in August I have a baby on the way. I'll have just moved. It's very very uh, easy to see that I'm going to have an issue with getting an episode out on time. So uh, in, in advance of that, we're doing this episode at the beginning of July with a, ti- a timeless evergreen classic, yep. which is our, our Guilty Pleasure Comics. So why don't you start off, Tom? What didn't make it to your top five? Uh, honorable mentions? Yes. Well, uh, I guess the first honorable mention, I mean, it's a dishonorable mention, let's face it, but it's still a guilty pleasure because I've reread it enough times, okay. is uh, Marvel vs. DC, the, the four-part mm. series. Uh, okay. From the '90s, uh, and and so of the '90s. When you reread it, it you, it just it stinks of it. All the things they were doing with the characters. You got they all look like they did. Yeah, Superman's mullet, and and you've got a smart Hulk who can't get mad without turning into the Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. You got Spider Man is actually Ben Riley, and he's fighting against tactile telekinesis Superboy fresh out of the uh, although again, they're both clones that being said <laughs> he looks like Peter Parker he has hair like Peter Parker yeah. but he's not Peter Parker no. but he acts like Peter Parker here so it's very inconsistent with itself yes it's a fun book yeah. it's uh it, you're right it is very of its time and it does feel like a publicity stunt because it was uh, I still yeah it's enjoyable but embarrassing the, but the best part about it I think is has nothing to do with the real fights themselves um, but just the fun of seeing some character interactions. I kind of like seeing Wolverine slashing into um, Killer Croc and uh, Gambit and, and, and Nightwing kind of uh, exchanging stealth blows and stuff. Like That, that kind of stuff was neat, and I kind of wish that we'd done more of that stuff. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I actually I remember getting the, uh, the card series. Yeah. And it had all like all like the incidental fights that didn't really happen, or we saw like one panel of. Yeah, it, it was fun. Yeah, it's not the type of thing that you're really going to go back to often. No, uh, but I wish I had it in trade because I think I would read it more often than I give. Like I think I. Yeah, I saw the issues. I reread them. Yeah, mm-hmm. would you do? Would you read it once a year? No, less often than that. Less often than that. Okay, but uh, once every several years when I need to okay. laugh. What else is on your honorable mention list? Um, well, there's uh, there's this prize here. <laughs> oh wow! Superman Red, Superman Blue by the Superman writers and artists. Yep. Yeah. This, this is so this is where it started. Yeah, that's I where mean, they launched it. Um, I I was not like I I kind of include that on my honorable mentions partly because I'm such a Marvel guy that mentioning anything DC is a rarity, and I was try I wanted to think of something that wasn't Marvel. Okay. And this was one that I remember when they released it. I was like, this is ridiculous. And so I did, with Electric Blue Superman in general, I thought was hilarious. Um, and then when they try to split off his personality and make the kind of the hothead Superman and the and the cerebral Superman, and he's not the type of personality that splits well in that regard. No. So it just wound up that neither one really seemed like Superman. It just it felt very forced and at the same time uh, amusing for all such for all a, the wrong such reasons. Such a nineties idea. Yeah. Let's take our hero, give him a new costume, new powers, get rid yeah. of the old one. Obviously, a media exposure idea. Yeah, and then we're gonna split them into two. Yeah, okay. Split them into two, and neither one feels right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're and they're both like they're both chasing after Lois, and Lois doesn't have time for either one of them. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird too if you go back and read um, uh, Grant Morrison's JLA, and he was saddled with using Electric Superman. He did some good things with it, but it definitely felt like he was like, "What the hell is going yeah. on?" <laughs> I have to use who? Like he got to relaunch the book in a big bold way with you know Mullet Superman, and then suddenly he doesn't even get to use that. Yeah. He gets to use Electric Boogaloo Superman. <laughs> um, so yeah. So what else is on the uh, honorable mention? The only other really noteworthy honorable mention uh, is uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Punisher twenty ninety nine. And in fact, let's just say twenty ninety nine in general. Yeah. I, I think, but the Punisher, the Punisher in general, tends to be a bit of a, a, a bit of a, of a, um, a guilty pleasure. But it works so well when it is grounded in a bit of gritty reality. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's something the Punisher can offer in the world of superhero comics. Yeah. It is a lot more street level, uh, and it's, it's quite intense, uh, and, it, and, and it is very um, gritty. 
and 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 violent and uh, the more the moral universe that is so present in other comics is is dulled, but not completely taken away. And in, in a way, you only get one one shot at having a relatively immoral vigilante in a in a world of moral vigilantes. And and Marvel took it and, and did a great job with it with the Punisher in general. Then he said in the twenty ninety nine world, and the, the gritty reality is not in any way reality. It's very cyberpunk. It was super cyberpunk, and just tons of, of goofy references and ridiculous weapons and ridiculous characters. It was it was very cyberpunky, um, and and it was ridiculous. And I thought it was very funny. Uh, so I, I I still reread several issues of, of Punisher twenty nine. I remember having one of the issues I got in like a three pack when I was like eight years old or yeah. maybe nine or ten. But yeah, it wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Punisher. Yeah, and I forgot. Is there foil on that cover? Yep. Oh yeah, there is foil okay. along the, the the blue foil. On that the was a very common uh, move. They've actually done a big strides recently to put uh, Spider Man twenty nine nine back in print. Really? In trades, uh, they call it Spider Man twenty nine nine Classic. It is the wow, as yeah. opposed to the contemporary. Yeah, yeah. It is the best, or at least the, the 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 only one you can really take at face value of those of those. I agree. Books. I remember seeing pictures of the X Men and being like, I don't want to read this. Mm. They look but kind of dumb. It's lame. I mean, it just it, it feels that they're they're forced characters in a forced context. Some things work better than others. At least with Punisher, they was still trying to bring us to the street level of a mm-hmm. of a new universe. Yeah. And so in a lot, it was it was learning as much about how like the gangs and. Uh, and and, and the, the sort of the gritty uh, side of society works mm-hmm. in the twenty ninety nine universe True. as it was about particularly what was his name? Uh, like it wasn't uh, Frank Castle in this case. The Jake, I think it was Jake Gallows. Yes, um, was, uh, was was Punisher's yeah. name? Gallows. He was a good hero cloak. Yeah, because didn't they make Punisher twenty nine as a hero cloak? Did they? The only twenty nine I specifically remember was are Hulk and, and Spider Man. Yeah, did they make Punisher? I think they did. Yeah, yeah. he's pretty good. Um, so those are all your those are my mentions? my guilty mentions. Okay. Uh, guilty mentions. Okay, oh, guilty mentions. All yes. right, uh, my guilty mentions. Uh, I only thought of it because you mentioned Marvel versus DC, but I really like the amalgam books. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would. I think they came out in what two thousand? Oh, sorry, nineteen ninety five. Yeah. So I was probably eleven years old. Um, you could tell that they were written for eleven year olds. Yeah. Uh, I like them because I mean they're goofy fun. They're not the type. Of, they're not great literature. No. They're all one shots. Uh, again, I was eleven years old. I didn't know. I hadn't really followed Marvel vs. DC. I wasn't, I wasn't following a lot of comics. So I, I actually thought that there was this company called Amalgam, and I thought there actually was this rich tapestry, because they kept doing shout-outs to prior things that had never happened. Right. Which is really just in-jokes for if you got the, either the Marvel or DC side of continuity, and you could see how they were you know, using it and building that into the Amalgam universe, and actually giving it a sense of weight, and uh, that there was this backstory, and I love that. Yeah. But as a kid, I didn't realize that that's what it was. So yeah. I was like, "Oh man, I want to buy more externals, uh, not externals, or JLX, and, yeah. <laughs> and all this stuff, and Doctor Strange Fate, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Dark I, Claw. Yeah, Legends <laughs> of the Dark Claw was badass. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I honestly did enjoy it. I thought Amalgam. Was 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 just goofy fun. It was very goofy fun, but it's embarrassing fun that you can't yeah. really. If you're trying to be a, a serious comic fan, you can't really talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You but can't. I remember buying a lot of those issues. I remember when they did uh, the second wave. I really liked that as well. Um, some of the weird character combinations were really interesting as well, like Ghost Rider and uh, uh, who was it? it? Was he was Speed Demon? I think it was like Flash. Was it Flash? Okay, I think it was you're Flash. right. It was Speed Demon. I just can't remember who it was. Ghost Rider. It must have been. It had to be yeah. Flash and Ghost Rider because he had a flaming skull. Yeah, and there was Barry Allen. Those characters were there. So okay, it was yeah. weird. Yeah. Weird, but lovely. Yeah. Um, cool. Also on my list would be I, I kind of combined it into one entry mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man The Gathering of Five And the final chapter yeah. Which is going to be reprinted in the end of this year And I already pre-ordered it because I'm so excited <laughs> It's not, a guilty pleasure for you right there Oh it's very guilty It's, it's Part of it isn't bad uh, it, it kind of ended the Spider-Man books prior to the, the new chapter That um, Howard Mackey and John Byrne started Which was dreadful mm-hmm. um, But it, it was kind of It was closing off a lot of plot threads that had been going on You had this mystical ceremony that Norman Osborn was planning, and then he afterwards got this thought he got this mystical power given to him, and then he had his final confrontation, quote unquote, with Spider Man, and then Spider Man lifts up the Daily Bugle with some webbing, which is kind of ridiculous. Yep. And then, especially because it's lasting an hour, yeah. And how long did it take him to get it there in the first place? You see, uh, but that being said, it's one of those guilty pleasure type of comics that you don't think about. It's just a cool visual because you have shots of Spider-Man webbing up a building, and you see uh, cartridge after cartridge falling on the ground. Yeah, like it just and it, it just seemed 
awesome. Doesn't make any sense. No. But extremely awesome. And even in Final Chapter, you think Green Goblin finally killed Spider-Man. It was a really cool ending. You open up the next issue and you're like, did I miss something? And you realize, no, he's insane. You thought I killed him. He's actually on the ground webbed up. Uh, anyways, I really like that stuff. Not yeah. necessarily a, an apex of Spider-Man storytelling. No. It should also, we should have mentioned this earlier, actually, that the top five uh, guilty pleasures... Uh, might just as well be named uh, top five things that we read in the 90s and still like. Pretty much, yeah. A, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is going to be 90s, but that's our era. And it feels 90s, yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I, I was born in 83, so yeah. my comic books are the 90s. And I've read a lot of 60s, 70s, and 80s because I love comics as a medium, but the one I, I entered in on and one I'll always have a special place in my heart, even though one that doesn't deserve it, yes. is the 90s. And there's a lot of crap. Yeah. Um, also, uh, um, a special mention, which I think is on your regular list. It is on my regular list. We yeah. skip over it if you want to. Um, yeah, I'll wait then. Yeah. Ugh, I have the omnibus for it, so yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, number, my last uh, honorable mention then would be uh, Iron Man, Hands of the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I re- this recently came out in trade. Absolutely shocked that it did. What do you, what is, do you think it's just because of the racism that it's a guilty pleasure? No, I think it's just not a very good story. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it, it was my first Iron Man co- comic book. It was part three of this storyline. The idea is that uh, Mandarin gets this dark force energy or something happened. I forget exactly even what it is, but he has his weird scaly Mandarin arms at the time. Anyways, he mm-hmm. reverts uh, a section of China back into like uh, feudalist, feudalistic China. No technology works and you have force works, War Machine and Iron Man are trying to stop him. It's really kind of poorly written half the time, much most of the time. Uh, <laughs> the art is extremely 90s, heavy inks. Uh, it's a lot of style over substance and a lot of it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, the, the way that they take out Mandarin is by somehow infecting him with a techno-organic virus, which happened a lot oh, in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, it's, it is the 90s. It's kind of like what mutant growth hormone was in the early 2000s. So it's yeah, fairly pervasive of. across the books. It's so. everywhere, and so yeah. everyone was kind of doing it. And, like, and it, they didn't really have to explain it. It was just it's kind of like radioactivity in the 60s. Everyone kind yeah. of had an idea or an inkling of what it could mean, but then they did weird things with it. Yeah. Uh, it's not the greatest story, but again, it was my first Iron Man exposure. So when it finally came out in trade, I was actually that was the first time I was actually able to read the entire story from beginning to finish, hmm. and it wasn't good. Um, but again, soft spot, and I'll always enjoy it for that, yeah. even though it doesn't deserve it. Yeah. So, all right, what's your number five? Number five. Number five is Venom Lethal Protector. There it is. There it? it is. All parts one through six, including I'm, I'm holding them in my hand in case anyone's listening and wondering. Including, where is it, the first comic that I ever purchased for myself. Wow. Part four of six here. And how could you not purchase it with Venom apparently webbed up in, in nebulous space, yep. slavering at the the moon. That's an awesome cover and, by Mark Bailey, though. <laughs> it really is. Oh, in fact, the art in this series in general was great. It's partially by him and then also Ron Lim, is it? Yeah, Ron Lim takes over in the last one, and I think that he also did some work. I think some Ron Lim is the reason why I didn't pick up this in trade. Oh, that's too bad, because the Bagley stuff is fantastic. It is, it is fantastic stuff, that's true. The foil cover for the first one, of course. Well, foil is the way it is. They introduce a lot, and I remember really wanting Venom to get a continuous series. I, I he collect- kind of did, and there was enough miniseries that you could kind of string them all together. Yeah, but there's no there's no ongoing writerly vision, and I think that that was the problem for me. <laughs> no, there was no, not. there was not, and that and I have them all. Like I have all those old uh, old Venom series, all the way from Lethal Protector through to Finale, uh, and there were a ton of them, and they just got worse and worse. But the writers really kept. Their hands were a bit tied. I get the feeling that they're they weren't able to always integrate back things from other series, whether they just didn't read them or whether they were the, the, they were pushed too hard to write the next thing before the previous one was done. Okay. Venom Lethal Protector sets up a bunch of stuff. It sets up the jury, um, the Life Foundation, right? yeah, the Life Foundation, and then the and other symbiotes, the other symbiotes, Scream. the jury, the the all, all yeah, all the other ones. It sets so up. A, uh, this was ju- the, the sorry, the jury's first appearance. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay, I guess that makes Cause sense. Because he put together the jury after after Venom was escaping and, and, and took out one of the guardsmen. Okay. Then he put together the jury to basically hand, hunt them hunt them down. Now, did this take place before Maximum Carnage? I'm trying to remember yep. the chronology. Yep, it did. Okay, because then he comes back from what, San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. And this is him setting up a new life in San Francisco, so he discovers the underground tunnels where he winds up living with the, the like the old city. That's so 90s. <laughs> 
feels like the past. And I'm sorry, is D-Man hanging out? Oh, wait, that's in New York. But still, like, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same. Like, he, he kind of... It's even the end of one of the first couple episode issues is that he's being attacked by the diggers. Uh, the, 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 the giant digging machines that also are remarkably effective as, 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 as uh, battle suits. And wow. they knock him through the ground, and he says, We've landed in the past! And it's actually just the underground city and... In San Francisco. That's but pretty atrocious. for a six-issue series, I mean, think of how little you get through in a six-issue series these days. Mm. Uh, all kinds of characters are introduced. Venom bounces around. All the new symbiotes are there. Spider-Man shows up. No, that is true. I mean, the the new decompressed style of storytelling, you get once... What you used to get in, like, an issue, or half of a Stan Lee issue, yeah. is now done over six issues. Exactly. Uh, that is true, and... Yeah, I guess there, there's a lot to like in that. Venom. <laughs> the remember how in the the '90s they had the lower left corner of the uh, mm-hmm. always had a little picture of something, and the in the Lethal Protector it's just a picture of Spider-Man face palming and saying, "Oh man." <laughs> I do like that the upper right hand corner where it's like guest starring Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> he has to be there. Um, yeah, you know, Venom is is one of those characters who he typified the kind of 90s excess mm-hmm. because of what they did to him. He, he was a great vil- new villain. He was striking. He was uh, terrifying. The fact, the fact that he was so interested in trying to protect what he defined as innocence made him an interesting counter yeah, to like, the standard. Yeah, he was always kind of there. I mean, he obviously killed a few people that were innocent early on in his appearances, but they kind of tried to, to, to circle around to that and explain that. Yeah. He was an interesting... Eddie Brock used to be more interesting than... They, they kind of ruined him over time. Yeah. Uh, part of it was just overexposure, uh, a la Deadpool, but Deadpool doesn't have... He could just kind of be anything to anybody. Yeah. Whereas Venom had a very specific feeling to him, and they just kept running him through these miniseries, which they each one seemed to get worse. And a great look, I can't stress enough, when Mark Bagley is behind the pens, he really knows how to make a good-looking Venom. Oh, he really does. Like, and, and his his look in Spider Man, like he's one of my, he is my favorite Spider Man artist of all time. I know that there's a lot of other artists who've done really influential things, but I think Mark Bagley will always be my favorite. So, yeah. even though he, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Venom as a character. I mean, just looking at the covers, I'm like, man, Bagley's amazing. Yeah. But then I remember Ron Lim did some of those issues, and uh, <laughs> he's not that. Bad. He's more of a cosmic guy, and cosmic yeah. guy stuff. His stuff feels more appropriate. Yeah. Not so much on Venom. But anyway, that's my number five. All right, my number five was uh, X Men Operation Zero Tolerance. Ooh. <laughs> That's right, Omega Prime Sentinels and things. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Am I embarrassed by this?" And I'm like, well, "Not necessarily," but there's a lot of people who would think I should be. So that's what, yeah, kind yeah. Of what, what fuels a lot of it. I mean, I have the, the, the hardcover collection of all of it. It's which, hilarious that you do. Um, well, because I, when I was a kid, I was really just buying Uncanny X-Men and X-Men. So you had the one Uncanny issue, with uh, which is awesome, Joe Maddart, Spider-Man versus uh, uh, some Omega Sentinels with, uh, what's his name, um, with uh, Mero before yeah. she became too pretty. Well, right. she was pretty pretty by that point. Yeah. Uh, and then when I was finally, years later, able to buy... The hardcover, I mean, it has all the other issues that were involved as well, where you have the Wolverine issues with Cyclops having a bomb in his, in his chest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of ludicrous stuff that happens, for sure. Um, I do like the stuff with Cable defending the X-Mansion mm-hmm. and trying to neutralize the hard drives. Like, there's just As so of... often happens with Cable, like some, Cable can. it's remarkable how badass he is when he's involved in some kind of an event yes. set up. His own books aren't always as successful. No, but when not. he has the opportunity, like basically when when you need a, a when you need a military man for a military scene, mm-hmm. then he really comes to play. No, he really does, and you know there's a lot of promises made in the series, which obviously it didn't end up quite delivering on. But mm-hmm. the promise was that things are going to be different. The X Men aren't just going to be able to hide anymore. They're not. They got stripped of all their Shi'ar uh, technology. Like there, there was a huge status quo shift. Unfortunately, writers eventually just wanted to take it back to where it was. Well, it's all the Bacalo art as well. Like Bacalo did the at least the Gen X. He did just the Gen X okay. stuff at this time. Oh, God. Um, now, the uncanny issue I mentioned is probably one of my favorite portrayals of Jameson. First mm-hmm. of all, Jameson's never been so built yeah. his entire life. Yeah, he no, is a yeah, bodybuilder. Look at him. Yeah, uh, he looks like he could crush you. <laughs> uh, but he like he's a really fascinating character. He stands up to Bastion, and uh, I, I, I have a very soft spot. Again, this is when I really I, I got into X Men around Onslaught, but then I remember when this was happening, I was so into Operation Zero Tolerance, and when again when this was mentioned that it was going to be in hardcover, I was like, I must pre-order this, yeah. I must own this on my shelf, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to love the '90s of it all. Yeah, and there's a lot of '90s of it all to it. There is, there is, and for what's worth, they, they did keep it moving. All the books had, they had a, like a reason to connect. It was never felt cheap or forced in. 
Uh, no, all the X-Books were... It felt like, you know, this is the last stand of the mutants against against the, the best Sentinels possible. Yeah. And that's awesome. And again, I wish that the Omega Sentinels uh, that we got in uh, Heroclix were these ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're such a cool look. Like, they're very... Well, not all of them, because some of them look overly, like... You know, too mustache Well, like, that's you know. Lionel Francis Yu and, uh, and Wolverine <laughs> over there, but... Like, they, they just had a really cool unified design. They looked yeah. similar. They were nice human, human-sized human versions, uh, and I liked it a lot. Anyway, yeah. so... That's my number five. What was it? Five. five. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, even 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 though maggot <laughs> shows up in the lot, the, you the, can even handle a maggot. Well, in the hardcover, they include X Men seventy, which technically is right after Operations of Tolerance, right. but it, it concludes the bomb in the chest storyline. And in that storyline, they basically take out the bomb, and Eni or Meany, I don't remember which one. Oh, it's Meany uh, eats mm. it, and that's uh, Maggot's immune system. It's stupid. Yep. Such a '90s weird. Yep. We haven't thought this out at all. Nope. He looks badass in his first appearance, and then suddenly he's a gangly aborigine for no reason. So, number five, Operation Zero Tolerance. All right. Number four, I have Galacta, the daughter of Galactus. No way. I love, love, love this book. Seriously, one of my favorites ever. Oh my god. <laughs> You should be ashamed of yourself. You see, this is why it's a guilty pleasure. Um, well, at least you know it. Hey, no, I... Because there's some books where I'm like, I love this so much, I, I'm not guilty about it at all. There's right. other books where I'm like, well, I have to admit it. i take this out so we can appreciate some of this now, design. let me go back a second. She yep. was first introduced in the assistant assistant uh, editor's was, month spectacular. Is that what it was called? Yeah, it was that thing. It was like a two-issue spectacular. Yeah. Now, I think people voted online for which one they wanted to see a, a solo... Story on, and I guess this is what won. Yep, this okay. is what won. Now, and, does uh, it reprint the original story? Or? It starts with the original story. Okay, it's um because the, the original story was in was it in one part or two parts? Galacta, Galacta, the daughter of. Gal- have you ever actually read this? I actually haven't. And this is, it. and you see, this is why it's a perfect guilty pleasure because I think it's way more enjoyable than it has any reason to be. Um, who, uh, who wrote it? Uh, good question. Who um, put their name on this? Warren. That could be anybody. Yes, I know. I'm looking <laughs> for it in here. Okay, well, talk about it as you as you flip sure. through. Sure, I'll talk as I flip I see through. a lot of text pages. There's. Uh, it makes me nervous. It, there are the thing is like there's a continuous. The idea is, of course, that it's it's uh, Galactus has a uh, Adam Warren. Okay, and this came out three years ago. Yes. Wow, it's current. Okay. Yeah. So the Galactus has a teenage daughter who's living on Earth. Uh, and the idea is that she uh, doesn't want to eat planets. Um, what and, does she want to eat? Well, she thinks she has to feed on organic material, but she doesn't want to, to hurt innocent people okay. uh, or, or, or innocent life. So she feeds on like bacteriums and things, but they're very. Th- I'm not even sure what it is about her design that makes me like so like oh my god, seriously. so uncomfortable. Uh, it's the weird headdress and like basically wearing Galactus' clothes, but with like a miniskirt. Yes, it's it's, really. it's basically a manga miniskirt Galactus. Well, design. that being said, if you look at Galactus's first appearances, he. That True. Actually, basically, yeah. was his outfit. <laughs> it was a he wasn't right. wearing the full leggings at the time. And then you get like this very manga art at times. Oh, she's wow. sort of salivating over the appearance of how delicious everything around and her is. On Twitter, um, I don't. I mean, like, I don't like the end. It, it, in the end of it, it turns out that she's she's pregnant, and it just it seems too, it's just, who, it seems uh, very cheap. Who impregnated her? Uh, it's a cosmic tapeworm, but <laughs> it's not really said exactly how it comes to be. <laughs> but here's Wolverine fighting a whole bunch of aliens. Basically, the idea is that she's also protecting the Earth against alien invaders. Because alien... Wolverine has never looked so manga. <laughs> you see? There are some shots here yes. where his mouth is huge. Yeah. But the, the idea is that when there's uh, extraterrestrial life on Earth trying to take over or whatever, then Galactus just se- seeks it out, and that's what she eats, feeds on. Wow. So she has... like it, There's a lot of, of, of potentially somewhat offensive stuff going on here, too. Because, you know, it's a teenage girl with an eating disorder, and, you, and it's a teenage pregnancy thing. There's a lot of things that kind of make my skin crawl and that's why it is a guilty pleasure okay. because I, I don't like a lot of the choices made on the other hand I love the idea of Galactus having a, a daughter who doesn't want to eat innocent things and is so there... she eats viruses and bacterium and she protects the world uh, without anyone noticing because she just kind of wants to, to a lot to of cleavage be... there is a lot of cleavage admittedly. Uh, uh, is there any time given to who the mother is no no there's no explanation in a ton of uh, about a ton of these things Okay. He shows up at one point and meets the Fantastic Four. She zaps around. I she eventually goes and, and meets her father because the she, she's basically what she thinks is the tapeworm is is, is, is forcing her into eating more okay. um, that she doesn't want to. So there's a bit of conflict. She's also tweeting all the time. 
in, 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 in topical fashion. That is a 90s, sorry, a, 2000s, a 2000s book yeah. in a big way. Yeah, and so this is one where I think in 10 years it'll be even more of a guilty pleasure. But I just think that, I, I don't know, something about it is, even though I disagree with a lot of what's inside of it, uh, <laughs> I also think it's a little bit, it's kind of cute. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, it's a guilty pleasure. No, you're allowed hate, to. Hate me, internet, if you must, but uh, it's... You know uh, what, well, I, I'm, I'm sure that they sold at least 20 of these. Yes. So, you are one of 20. Yeah. I've long said that that one of the hero clicks I would design if I ever got to do one would be her. That actually be hilarious. Before can I can sorry can I hold that? Yeah, please. Before there even was um, multiple starting lines on standard dial figures for hero clicks, that I thought that 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 you could make her with a, a sixty one twenty and one eighty point starting lines as one tenth of Galactus's old six hundred, twelve hundred, and eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the fact that she also she heals. And feeds herself through healing. Then I think she'd make a great powerhouse support piece, like power cosmic healer uh, that yeah. can get quite powerful at her top end, and otherwise is going around healing and healing herself as a, as a result. I was wondering if maybe someone else had actually care, uh, created the character, but it looks like I guess they did originally create the character together. Yeah. Originally, when they did the assistant editors month, there was usually there was an impetus, or the, uh, a certain editor would have pushed for it, or mm-hmm. came up with a concept and give it to someone else. But I, there's no real discussion of that. Oh. One thing I want to mention is that on the cover, you have the uh, food issues plus daddy issues plus power cosmic semi omnipotence times his responsibility to protect Earth's biosphere equals one very conflicted uber chica. Okay? You see? Wow. You see why this is not why I'm not in any way proud of the fact that I'm enjoying this? Yeah, no, no I can see. Yeah. You know what? It, it does look kind of goofy fun, but wow, yeah. seriously. Yeah, it's goofy fun with 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 some serious problems. Uh, this is only to be read with an enormous grain of salt. All right. So, <laughs> so my number 4 is back to the 90s well and to DC Batman Nightfall. Yeah. Um, this is such a following. It's hard to really... I wonder whether it is a, a guilty pleasure. I guess it is. But it, Nightfall? Some people love Nightfall. There are elements of Nightfall which are good. There's elements of Nightfall which are so painfully 90s. Um, <laughs> there's certain parts like the artwork is, again, very 90s. Um, I'm trying to find a particular shot, but I can't seem to find it right now. Oh, there it is. There's a, a sophisticated like robot that's sent to open up work, uh, Arkham Asylum and break yeah. everything out, and it, it looks like the, <laughs> it's like it's Kirby. It looks it looks like a Kirbyish version of uh, R2D2. Mm. Uh, that's somehow less sophisticated, even though it's from like <laughs> twenty years later. Uh, and it looks it's the stupidest looking thing, and somehow it is able to uh, break open Arkham Asylum and uh, free everyone. The idea of the story is interesting though, because you have Arkham Asylum. Uh, everyone who's there basically breaks out, and Batman has to push himself to his. His upper limits to stop them all, and he has to do it as quickly as possible because they're all out there and they're all causing havoc. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing so, he's getting more and more worn out. He's pushed, he's already been having bad dreams and and having uh, severe exhaustion. So that's all a good idea. Yep. But it's got some really terrible art. Um, it's got again the art. If you think about it too, like this is what ninety two or so. And if you look at what Marvel was doing at the time, they had like Jim Lee. Yeah, uh, the Kubert brothers, like they were like had really stylized, polished artwork, and it looked really badass. And then this stuff just looks like from a, like a, a, they're from a different decade. Yeah, it doesn't have the same amount of polish. I'm flipping through the uh, recently re-released Batman Nightfall uh, Volume One Mega Trade paperback. It's, it's huge, it's eh? gigantic, and I think it cost uh, uh, twenty nine ninety nine US Boy, for a lot of comics. Uh, but some of it are, is not good. So again. Some of the stories aren't the greatest, but the the idea of having Batman pushing himself so far, then going up against Bane, and then being utterly wrecked, mm-hmm. is a good idea. It's just uh, it's filtered through '90s excess. Yeah. Uh, then you have the Bane. It's funny. I often think of the Bane storyline in Nightfall as being vaguely, and I know this is a real stretch, but vaguely akin to the, to the treatment of Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet, hmm. because they spend a lot of time focusing on on a villainous character pursuing an end. That they that they do achieve, yeah, um, and so they really it dignifies the villain um, that they give them that much time and space to develop the character and develop their ambition as not just something that you know there's some crazy person that's ambitious, but rather the the real strength and determination of their ambition to get what they want well, and all true. the different tactics that they're using to do it. And I mean, it, this it is... made Thanos a great character, and for a while, it made Bane a great character. I mean, this is coming on the heels of the death of Superman. So I mean, yeah. they they've just had a huge amount of success by ripping down their 
primary icon. Let's do it again, but slightly different mm-hmm. uh, by breaking his back. Now, Nightfall comprises both the the fall of Bruce Wayne and then the ascension of Azrael or John Paul Valley as Batman. Mm-hmm. That's where it really starts to go off the rails. Yeah. Um, and then some of the covers, uh, there's Kelly Jones does a cover of Detective Comics number six nine six. Sorry, 665. Mm-hmm. And you have Batman basically bludgeoning people with, uh, I don't know, just like a, a piece of wood with some nails in it. I like the... Uh, with crazy long ears. Yeah, the ears of the Batman are approximately two feet long to scale. Yeah, and, and Robin <laughs> is portrayed as being like 20 years old. He's supposed to be like 14, 15, but he's extremely old. Now, thankfully, the interior arc of said issues by Graham Nolan, who's a great artist yeah. for this era, he's kind of the Dan Jurgens of Batman of this era because you had a lot of crappy Bat- uh, Superman artists, except for Dan Jurgens kicking it out, of, uh, hitting it out of the park in Superman. So same thing with Graham Nolan really uh, kicking ass in this book, but in uh, Detective Comics. But yeah, as as Azrael becomes Batman, this this book starts to become all about what the '90s is bad badly known for, yeah. leading up to the monumental Batman 500. Yeah, which uh, the cover alone. Yeah, as uh, what more do you need to know? As uh, as the Asbats <laughs> costume. Before still in its original kind of Batman oriented, it's got this weird ankle. I don't even know what this is. Ankle they're pouches. Yeah, you need there's, more pouches. We need more pouches, but we don't really know what for. You have uh, like a half pouch belt. Which, I, I don't know I how don't it's know even how it, affixed. They're I just pouches. They're yeah, like velcroed onto his basically. And he's got a torso. weird like light that's hanging over his neck, so like he can use it to shine light in people's faces. It's got weird body armor, and he's got the giant talons. And then you have Bane like being hoisted by his like. His underwear almost. Yeah. It looks like he's having a massive wedgie. Yeah. Um, and I, but I remember reading Batman 500 when it came out, and it was like, oh man, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there's a, a page of uh, a ba- Batman. It looks like he's flying, but really he's just gliding backwards or like upside down. Yep. He got gliding against yeah, the laws of it, physics. And again, he goes up and fights against Bane, and, and it's so excess. Yeah. And like, there's a moment. Uh, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, where uh, Bane's like off of his mind in my pocket and Batman's prepare to be mugged like this <laughs> like this is this is pretty terrible um, I mean this is this is just not very well written uh, even though the artwork in this particular issue is pretty good I mean this yeah. is this is embarrassing stuff and yeah. people talk about the excesses of the 90s and a lot of it's how they, they took down their greatest icons and replaced them with either four weird pretenders or this weird armored version of Batman who may or may not kill. I guess it's sort of akin to the the death of Superman too because in a lot of even though the death of Superman wasn't triumphantly handled in a way it was the aftermath that was that was super 90s. Oh yeah. Uh, as opposed to the, the actual death of Superman act. was actually okay. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the the breaking of Batman again also okay. But, but then everything afterwards and it gets yeah. a lot worse after Nightfall there's Night's Night's Quest, uh, the Crusade and the Search and then you eventually have Night's End. I chose just to look at Nightfall because the rest is yeah. too painful to look at. Uh, there's also a nice Joe Quesada cover of Batman 500, which I remember mm-hmm. seeing because it was nice and foil. Yep. Uh, again, very 90s, and that was just the way it was. Yep. So that's my number four. Nice. What's your number three? Number three, we have, in my opinion, a truly great comic. Oh my god. Hulk Pit. <laughs> Hulk versus himself yes. from another publisher. Hulk versus himself from another publisher and a terrible writer. And yet, what I would argue is that. If this is Peter, some great Peter David writing, and some really great uh, Dale Keown art. Oh yeah. I mean, this the the fights between Hulk and Pitt, which which comprise most of what this book is, are just great. I love the layouts, like some of the the perspective oh, shots. Yeah. I remember I used to draw. I made a comic for my my brother when he went away to Bermuda to be like a he went for uh, actually no he went to Lithuania for a year to teach English yeah. um, uh, because he was a computer geek guy then I made a comic about him becoming a computer superhero uh, anyway it's all very embarrassing uh, but what I remembered is that I remember directly ripping off panels from from this comic uh, because there were several great fighting shots really um just as Pitt and, and, and Hulk are fighting each other, I just which love... version of Hulk is this? Is he smart? This is smart when he was getting to have an attitude problem. Like this is okay. To, to, while he was starting, to, while the professor was starting to break up a bit inside. Who created Pitt? Um, I thought well, Dale Keown definitely created the the visual. I thought that he wrote it too. Okay. I, I think Dale Keown was the writer artist on it. And then when they did this crossover, then Peter David wrote it, and they just okay. had. Uh... Just curious because I actually I don't know a lot about Pitt as a character, except for kind of just being. Hulk? It's he is kind of Hulk. Like I love this shot where you just there's a there's just no use to anybody who's listening. But you just see a big close up on the Hulk's fist, 
and then out of perspective is the rest of the Hulk and the, the distance Pitt is flying mm-hmm. away and it's the aftermath of a big punch um, Pitt's character was, was tied to a little kid named Timmy that he was kind of trying to protect I know it's really stupid and in the act, the Pitt comics themselves were really bad I, I feel like it. this doesn't have to be a guilty pleasure in the same way as as, the, as your last book yeah I feel like you can be a little bit because at the end of the day it is written by Peter David yeah it is fantastic artwork by yeah. Del Keown. Uh, very Del Keonish. I mean, if you know his art, you'll know yeah. what this looks like. Uh, just imagine Hulk versus fighting a grayer version of himself, and that's basically what this book looks like. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't think you need to be as 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 embarrassed or, or uh, put this necessary. I don't think this needs to be a guilty pleasure. Yeah. In a way, I I almost put it on here not because I do feel guilty about it, but because I think that it's just so easy to pass over a crossover between yeah. Pitt and Hulk. And one of the things that... Plus Peter, it was the era of them doing a lot of company crossovers, which weren't good. Peter David was really good at writing one-shots, I found, because he always found a framing mechanism. Hmm. And so in this case, he, he starts today with this little narrative caption that talks about, you know, have you ever met someone that taken an instant dislike to them? And he says, you know, some people believe that this is to do with karmic cir- circles, and some people think that that's bullshit. And sometimes... Um, sorry for swearing uh, but anyway so, I've sworn a few times it's alright fair enough uh, and, and sometimes you get an overlap of between sort of fantasy and, and, and reality um, and that's a recurrent theme and the idea it, it, it starts out in prehistoric times where there's two tribes mm. and the one tribe has its champion as Pit and then the Hulk shows up and they fight each other and it will be etched in the memory of this tribe forever hmm. and then Timmy because Timmy is a bit of a reality manipulator the concept is that he's jumping between realities and he basically finds himself in the Marvel 616 reality trying to escape from Pitt and, and just find his mom and have a normal life hmm. and he gets tied up in a little bit of a storyline with Rick Jones and this leads to Pitt finding them and then Hulk finding them and then the two fight because Timmy wants to try to get Pitt out of his life and go and have a fantasy life with his mom but he doesn't actually find his mom he, he projects that onto somebody else oh. and then the Hulk and Pitt are both instrumental in protecting him from getting hit by a train uh, but along the way they fight each other because they just instinctually dislike each other. And it starts out with this idea that in the past they there were creatures like Hulk and Pitt that instinctually dislike each other. This comic's about Hulk and Pitt who instinctually dislike each other and it finishes with Rick Jones reading a book um, which is set in the future about two great generals that look like Hulk and Pitt who just dislike each other and start fighting. <laughs> but it's a cool frame. It's I think it's well written for a... For a bit, just an excuse to have a lot of punching. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually I enjoy it more than. I do feel like when you put Peter David on something, something that may have started with let's put these two big guys together and have them punch each other, it could become something more. Yeah. He's one of the few few writers who I really think I can usually trust him to do that. He'll find a way to make it make some sort of sense and not be exactly what you would expect it to be. Yeah. In fact, I almost feel like Peter David is great at taking a, a subpar to modestly good idea. And making it really work well, mm-hmm. then working with a great idea. I mean, some like he he does a serviceable job when the story is great, yeah. but when the when the concept is okay, he can really bring out the best in it. That's true. It's a it's a it's a feather in his cap, and and again, the art practically sells it itself. It's worth the price of vision just for yeah. Just it, for that, that. That's the thing. This is in the era where you would buy it just based on the artwork, and the fact that you got a good a story that was good was just kind of extra. Yeah, it was it was like oh that was actually yeah. good. Then a nice little one shot. It reminds me a lot of Hulk the End, and Hulk the End is quite reputable, uh, and as it should be. But in both cases, they are well written and well drawn. Mm. It's just that in the one case, it feels very nineties because you've got Timmy and Pitt, and, and it's kind of forced. Yes. Whereas the other one, it feels very thematic and important and powerful. There's a good reason why our top five Hulk storylines did not involve uh, yeah, Hulk Pitt, Pitt. Yes. But I still think it's better than it should be given credit for, or it is given credit for. So. All right, my number three is uh, the. Oh, a nice companion to Nightfall. Yep. Reign of the Superman. <laughs> uh, again, I remember... Re- the, like The other one I remember reading other people's Batman issues yep. at the time, but I actually remember buying a lot of these Return of the Superman. Or as I like to call it, Eradicator, the Cyborg, the Superboy, and that boring guy. What, the one with the glasses? Steel. I found Steel. Oh, Steel. Boring. You didn't like Steel? No. Um, so I, I, I actually... The first one I ever read of these these issues was uh, the Man of Steel one, actually. Yeah. With Steel. And I remember reading his his return, and I think I followed him. I, I have a bunch of the singles, and unfortunately, the trade paperback doesn't do a very good job of giving them to me in a clear like with all the covers. Like 
modern trades usually give you all the covers in a nice clear fashion you can tell what issues you're reading mm-hmm. this one doesn't do that at all okay. um so which is unfortunate so it's hard for me to really point to any particular issue and be like this is this issue they don't even break them up properly right um I, i've always loved return of the superman it's extremely 90s mm-hmm. in the worst way um <laughs> like you have the cyborg superman like he is a he's a cyborg of course yeah. he's from the 90s or i guess maybe 80s too but i mean uh doomsday is, is has been vanquished you have these four new pretenders to the throne of superman basically yep, the hip kid the hip kid clone who's with the fade haircut yeah. and the leather jacket and the glasses yeah. he's trying to be all cool you got the cyborg who's yeah. trying to you know make do and uh try to seems at first to be the one who might be the more realistic option to actually be real the real superman uh, you have the Eradicator, who sort of mysterious, uh, standoffish. Yeah, uh, he's the the visored one, the last son of Krypton. Yeah, uh, he's very susceptible to uh, light, and uh, he kills people. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's again the idea of taking someone who's incorruptible as Superman and making is he now a killer? Super badass. Super as, exactly. As might say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super bad. He doesn't have any claws though. Yeah. That's um, true. And then or blades. And then you've got uh, Steel, who is you know just a, his is the only one right from the beginning. You know he's not Superman, right? But the world thinks that he might be the reincarnated spirit of Superman, yeah. uh, who's now made this. Uh, he's. His actually is not a bad story, although the art in his yeah. books was by uh, John Bogdanov, and it's absolutely awful. It looks like lumpy oatmeal. Uh, like, like, look at these shots of this that yeah. white rabbit or whatever her name is. It's terrible. Um, but it's at least he got a nice dignified film. Uh, uh, oh segment. yes, <laughs> of course. At least he's been in a film. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I call it, but but yeah, I, a mess of a movie. But there, this is actually an important storyline, at least. Green New 52, but still more or less. Mm-hmm. Without this storyline, you wouldn't have had Green Lantern going crazy. You wouldn't have had a lot of stuff goes down here. Cyborg Superman is a character that still is around, well, I guess still today. I'm yeah. about to reintroduce him as part of Forever Evil in September for the New 52. But he's been around. Uh, the Eradicator, not as much. Superboy had a long was a, around until the New 52 erased him and yeah. got a new stupid new version of the character um steel again was a, a long-standing dc character for many years he did get a movie unfortunately um so i mean this is there's a lot of things that come out of this storyline even though it's not very good yeah. um, again i read a lot of these issues when i was when i was first reading comics so i have a soft spot and a lot of what that is a lot of these comics are that soft spot uh again when it, you have superman come back he's wearing the black sh- black costume with the silver shield he's using guns which doesn't really make sense or energy blasters I like the costume I didn't like the energy blasters but yeah no and then finally he gets his powers back because I mean there's some shots from the last issue of uh, Superman 82 where it's just like him with guns and yeah. he's got the his chest is exposed because uh, the shield was ripped off by yeah. Cyborg Superman a lot of this just goes on way too long the whole storyline just kept going yeah. um, but I still kind of like it I like the end I, I do like when he finally re-emerges as Superman proper I like when he punches Cyborg through the chest and like vibrates him into exploding. If only the art was a little bit better on that yeah, sequence. They don't do a great version of it. But no, but it, it, conceptually, it, I thought it was neat. Conceptually, it was pretty awesome, and I mean, I dug it. Yeah. Oh man, my my trade's falling apart. Oh, that's sad. That's bad binding. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to buy. Unfortunately, they put it in omnibus, but they took out, I believe, some of the. Um, uh, funeral for a friend storylines, hmm. which doesn't make sense because they had the yeah. de- they had the death and return, but they take away part of the, uh, the the kind of the middle funeral, which doesn't make any sense. No, and that's it is still part of the story. It helps build up. Uh, it's interesting. There's a shot here of the Justice League at the time, mm-hmm. which is hilarious because <laughs> you have Power Girl with the headband, you got Doctor Fate, you got Ray, you got Captain Marvel looking very disinterested. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman's like doesn't really look like she's there. You have uh, Green Lantern or Alan Scott. Alan Scott you yeah. have his daughter Jade. You have Martian Manhunter. You have Maxima of Almorak, and you have Guy Gardner with the sinister ring. Uh, it's pretty uh, hilarious, yeah. like seeing these versions of the characters. Like, who ever thought that would be a Justice League? Also, seeing Mongol uh, bow to Cyborg Superman always felt a little off. But, yeah, but this is an important storyline, and it's not that good. It is a uh, a testament to what the '90s could do well and could do really terribly. Yeah. all in one giant volume. And it's still like it has enjoyable bit. That's what makes it a guilty pleasure. Is that it's still it, it still is fun to read. Yeah, um, they had and, a lot of good writers too. I mean, like si- Louis Simonson's a great writer. Yeah. So is Roger Stern and Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens' artwork yeah. is fantastic. I like Tom Grummet on uh, Superboy's Adventures. 
But there were some really crappy artists on here as well. Yeah. So that's why it's my number three. All right. Number two. Number two was also one of your honorable mentions. Yes. And it is the giant epic that was Secret Wars 2. Now, I had said to Tom before, uh, my very first omnibus, I have a, a lot of them now, but my very first omnibus was Secret Wars 2, and I remember seeing it solicited, and I was like, I need to have this. And yep. everyone asked me why, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'd always read Secret Wars 1, but I'd never really read much of the second one. And I love the idea of having like 40-something comics in one gigantic volume for like 70 bucks. It also really... Because even Secret Wars 2 is often in, is often spoken of as being the great introduction of, of, of sort of the, the serialized monthly that ran alongside the other comics that you had to buy. But yeah. you only had to buy it to figure out like what, why did Superman get... Or why did Spider-Man get this black suit and what happened with Colossus and, uh, and stuff like that... The Secret Wars 2 was actually a better indicator of where that trend would go yes. because of the fact that it introduced a storyline that would continue within those books themselves. Yes. Not just introduce elements you'd see reflected, but they were actually an active part of the storyline which weren't essential reading to the base series, uh, but were helpful to understand the Beyonder's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a certain extent, there's, there's something... The thing about comic books, of course, is that we, we enjoy seeing super-powered things in general. Yes, we um, do. It, there's, I don't, it, it's just it's a natural, uh, a natural part of our uh, of our enjoyment of of, of, of uh, comics is seeing what people would do when they have superpowers, and there's almost always something intriguing about it just scaling up. Sorry, so, yeah. as Paul, as, sorry, as um, as Tom was trying to talk, I'm flipping through my omnibus <laughs> and seeing the ridiculous covers that came out, and this is what 1985. Yeah. It's interesting, at the same time that Crisis and Infinite Earths is reshaping the DC Universe and having a lot of monumental events happening, you have events like Captain America 308 with uh, the cover having Armadillo attacking Captain America, and the uh, the phrasing is, Armadillo, he's no laughing matter. Yeah, because normally I would laugh at an Armadillo, in case you weren't aware. But this time, not a laughing matter. Not a laughing matter at all. Anyway, the idea being that if we like to see super-powered things, the natural outcome is introducing the ultimate superpowered thing. And that's what the Beyonder really was. The Beyonder was was so far beyond, literally, uh, everything else in the universe that uh, it, it was, you know, the idea was that, you know, our, our, our universe or our multiverse is but a droplet of water in an ocean next to the Beyond-verse. Mm-hmm. And the Beyond-verse becomes an entity. And so it's the, even though they later retconned it, the initial introdu- introduction of the Beyonder was that he was this thing that was more powerful than everything else in the rest of the universe combined times whatever. Like, he, he, there was no... There's no scale upon which to talk about how powerful this guy was. Yeah. So what happens when you take, uh, essentially, a, a god character uh, that is a complete innocent to what it is to be alive and interact with life? And it wasn't necessarily well handled. I, I'm not going to say that I enjoy every panel or every page... But some interesting stuff came of it, and it is there is a fascination, and hence the guilty pleasure thing again. There's a fascination uh, with with ultimate power, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we we're often as comic book fans drawn towards stupendously powerful characters, whether we want to be or not. Sometimes, yeah. Um, and the Beyonder was a, was a was a prototypical classic example of that. There was a lot of good ideas. Uh, the idea of having, like as you said, like what happens to this type of being when it becomes subjected to kind of uh, human feelings and human mm-hmm. emotions, and as it tries to understand what it means to be human, that is uh, theoretically a great idea. Yeah. But the way that they executed it and took the Beyonder, and again, it, it does suffer from it being a mid '80s book in terms of the character design, mm-hmm. the Jerry curl, the weird uh, pointy costume he wears, um, and plus again, he starts tying up with Boom Boom for a while there. Yeah, which is weird, and plus again, the fact that it is the beginning of having a, a new type of crossover. Yeah. Uh, that it's just, it's a line wide thing, but it's actually happening concurrently, and you have you're going into different books, and you're, you're but you also have some really good stuff. You have my one of my favorite Daredevil issues, which is mm-hmm. the issue where he gets his sight back thanks to the Beyonder. That's incredibly good. There's a great, incredible Hulk issue, uh, yeah. three twelve, where we start to see more of uh, the what would later become commonplace to talk about in Hulk stories, which is his. His, uh, his history. So it's interesting that... It introduces so many... his, his father as the great evil that created him. And even though the Beyonder isn't really... The Beyonder only shows up at the end of the book and yeah. kind of looks at him and says, isn't this a fascinating case? But 
the need to create something that ties in created this one shot that became hugely important to his history. Yeah, and the same thing with, and with the Daredevils wasn't important to his history, but again, really well done. So yeah. I, I, there was a bunch of crossovers that I almost put on my list of, uh, um, of honorable mentions, like uh, Acts of Vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, Inferno. There's, I, I, I bought all those in honorable mentions. 90s, 90s, 90s. Or late 80s, totally, but, yeah. but, but a lot of them, that I like the idea of having the shared universe and having all the other characters kind of picking what they wanted to be part of the crossover with and then developing their own storylines from it and I also like just having the omnibuses of those volumes because I get to expose to books and may never have read otherwise um, there is yeah there's some weird stuff there's some cover art here from uh, Secret Wars number, number 7 there's a, all the villains are attacking him and Modok just looks sad he has this giant frown <laughs> yeah because what's up with sad that? eyes this is Mopey, Mopey Modok Mopey Modok <laughs> Um, yeah, and some of the art in the main series is not the greatest. No. Um, but again, there were some interesting ideas here. It's just that it went on too long. Yeah. And plus, they felt the need to... And again, this storyline did see a lot of important things happen. You have Curse being empowered yeah. uh, by the Beyonder, which is incredibly important to Thor's history. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of things do happen throughout. It's interesting to look at events like these and see how many good things actually came out of them, yeah. even though a lot of people hate the storylines themselves. Yeah, you had the benefit of, of, of time to see what they developed on, and and it was a lot. Yeah. This is an interesting issue of Spider-Man, where the Puma is, is theoretically thinks that he's it's his destiny to destroy the Beyonder. Yeah, that's weird. And it's weird. And at the end of that, when it eventually comes to it, the Beyonder is like, "Well, you never really were able to do this anyway." Um, yeah, but oh, well, yeah, not at all. No, but Puma is, it believes that that's what his destiny is, and so it follows his story, and it's an interesting mm-hmm. story within itself. And Rachel Summers thinks she has to. Stop. Everyone thinks they have to stop the Beyonder, and everyone thinks they can. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the new defenders get involved. There's a there's an absolutely brutal issue towards the end of New Mutants, uh, where he right. shows up and he just kills all the New Mutants, and then he resurrects them. He's like he's just in a bad mood, and he yeah. shows up, and the New Mutants attack him, and the and the Beyonder's moody and mad. And he slaughters them all, and then he brings them all back to life at the at the end. But it, just because he can, um, he can kill every. He just because he can kill, it means he will kill. Yeah, it just uh, he doesn't just know doesn't know what to do. He's and it, it, this is also I guess another part of the, the the crisis of infinite power is he's so powerful that he can take out all his enemies, but there's no satisfaction in it because it's so easy to do. There's mm-hmm. not even satisfaction in that. That's true. I think I'm looking at that issue. Is this that yes, issue? that's the one issue that they're looking Number at. Number right thirty-seven. Now. Yeah, because she she survives. Oh, of course she does. But then oh, I remember this issue: the Amazing Spider-Man two seventy-four. Mm-hmm. Wow, the soul of the spider. There is a lot of memorable stuff in here. Although, again, what actually happens with the Beyonder himself and his own design is what kind of makes it yeah. hard to defend sometimes. Yeah, I still like it. Yeah, I uh, think it's perfectly serviceable, and I think that it is one that partly because Secret Wars one was so beloved, it really gets. Uh, stomped on um, and I think it, it, it gets hit harder than it should okay my number two really it's basically 52 issues I can see it I know yeah. but uh, I'm going to concentrate on 24 of them in particular okay because it's it, 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 you, and once I say what it is everyone will understand um, okay. Heroes Reborn is pretty well derided uh, it's not the best thing that ever came out of Marvel Comics. It's true. Marvel Comics gave the keys to the kingdom to the Image Boys, uh, Liefeld and Lee, to basically come back. They could take the characters into their own pocket universe, do whatever they wanted with them. And then when... Always a good thing when you give Liefeld the ability to, to yeah, uh, do the, whatever you want. When the like, contract, I'm going to give more pouches and impossible, improbable muscles. Yeah, when the, when the contracts didn't end up working, I think they, they after 13 issues, basically 12, because the 13th issue was just a... A wildstorm um, tie-in issue for each of the main books. So really, each each book lasted twelve issues. There was Avengers, uh, um, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, and mm-hmm. what was the last one? Oh, Captain America. Uh, and so the Captain America is probably the one that most people remember as being the worst uh, because he had Rob Liefeld and female Bucky. Uh... The female Bucky, who is in the main Marvel universe now, so mm-hmm. I mean, people like her. She is. I know that. She was. She fought against Onslaught at one point. Okay. She was around. Right. Uh, look it up. Okay. And uh, but it's but it's also well known for the promo art that Liefeld did, where he basically gave Cat America boobs or yeah. the, the extremely large yeah. chest, yeah, which is really awkward. Anyways, the ones I liked the most were Avengers and Iron Man. 
Yeah. Iron Man will always be the one I love, uh, despite myself. Uh, it was really, I had said before, Hands of the Mandarin was the first Iron Man comic I'd ever really read. A few years later, I remember I was, I was, I was getting really big in the comics when the onslaught happened, and I would see at the end of the issue, they would give you previews of what Heroes of War was going to look like. And I remember seeing the Iron Man ones, and I was like, my mom was going to uh, Portland, and she was like, do you want anything? I'm like, go to a comic book store and get me an Iron Man. Yeah. So she got me like the first two or three issues, and I still have those issues. And I freaking loved it. And yeah. a lot of people hate the design of the armor. No, it's no, re- I liked it. It's really busy. He's got it the was, weird exhaust for no reason. It was the best of the Heroes Reborn. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, I mean, it was... So it was... Uh, who wrote it? It was plot by Jim Lee, Scott LaBelle, and then later Jeff Loeb. And originally it was penciled by Willis Portacio. I like two of those three. Uh, Portacio has very heavy... It's very much a 90s book. There's a lot of white space. There's not yeah. a lot of backgrounds. Uh, but I've always loved it. Uh, Iron Man's a shadow. Iron Man's a dick. Yeah. I mean, Tony Stark is a dick. I loved how they tied Bruce Banner's origin as the Hulk into Iron Man's arm, uh, own origin, yeah. uh, linking those characters, which I thought was a great idea at the time, and I still do. Yeah. Um, I just I always enjoyed it. There was a lot of weird stuff. You have Pepper Potts changing hair color a lot. Yeah. Uh, you have some weird villains, um, but you have like you know uh, Living Laser, Whirlwind, the Mandarin. Uh, I I dug it a lot. Yeah. And, uh, the Hulk I, stuff in it was great. Like, I, oh, the Hulk stuff was really fun, and then that's what brought me into the Avengers. Not as much for the first four issues by Liefeld because they're very Liefeldian. Yes. Although are. you know what, they're not as bad. Like they're they're bad, but they're not as bad, <laughs> they are bad. as some of the Liefeld stuff could be. I mean, some of his faces are actually almost restrained. That's true. Um, his but, his and, hips are not. No, his hips are never. His hips don't lie. <laughs> um, but then, once you get past that stuff, you get some great stuff where the Hulk comes in, mm-hmm. and you have some great Hulk, uh, you know, Hulk on Avengers action, yep. and Hulk on Thor action, and then that leads into the reason why I first picked up the Avengers book during Heroes of War, which was the uh, Industrial Revolution crossover, mm-hmm. uh, which crossed over between Avengers and Iron Man. Anyways, I'm I'm a big fan of of, of this. Kind of, it's fun. It's different. It's very self-contained because they they would immediately be brought back after the twelve issues were over. Um, obviously, Heroes Return was a huge success, mm-hmm. and every single one of those books did quite well. But uh, I, I always have a soft spot for uh, Heroes Reborn, even if I can't always publicly admit it. Yep, that's a good that's a good guilty pleasure. What is your number one? Uh, same as yours. Oh no! <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? Wow, well, I, I didn't. Uh, it's like I stole it is, from you. Is it that disappointing? You'd steal it at all. I feel like I, I know, I just feel like I stole your, I, I, I did all the talking, talk about it. Which was your favorite, Iron Man? No, no, no. Your, my number one is the same as oh, your number one. Oh, I'm sorry, I got yeah. confused. I don't well, know. Let's talk about it then. Alright. So number one is uh, Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. It's gotta be. This, what a, what a great, great storyline. Oh yeah. I don't care what anyone says. This is the Because they're right. This is the epitome of 90s excess. Uh, it was a 14 part storyline yeah. that could have been maybe two yeah it could, yeah. well really if you read Spider-Man Unlimited 1 and 2 it almost tells you what you need to know yeah that's actually very true there's a lot of it's it's such a I mean my first issue reading Spider-Man I think really ever was uh, Spider-Man 35 which was part 4 of this yeah. I remember trading an issue of Superman for it yeah. and uh, I still have that, that issue that was a good trade it was I traded up um, I still have all the issues I just don't have them with me because I didn't want to uh, that's okay. Um, Fourteen issues worth. Yeah. Uh, it's got a lot of artists I loved. I love Tom Lyle, mm-hmm. uh, who does the Spider-Man issues. You've got Mark Bakley. Uh, you have Sal Buscema, who I've come to appreciate more in latter years yeah. uh, than I originally did. He does the spectacular stuff. You get some limb in uh, the final limited, don't you? Unfortunately, yes. I'm just not a fan of limb. I'm not. The thing about it, though, is that there isn't as much variation in the art throughout as there are in a lot of different crossover no. uh, books. I mean, at least all the artists have a some some degree of unity in how they are presenting the characters. Not always the action, but at least the characters are look fairly consistent. No, that's true. I'm trying to remember who did the art on. Let's see. Uh, okay, it was uh, Alex Saviuk did the. Um, the web stuff. That was, I thought, I think the weakest art. It was. Uh, but no, I, this was, I mean, this is what, uh, three months worth of stories? Yeah. Uh, this is a long summer. Yeah. I remember, I remember, like, what, summer, what, 93 or 94, one of the two. And it was inescapable. It was all the spider books yeah. were dealing with, with Carnage. And, and I, didn't, I didn't care. I loved it. No, I loved it too. But what a, also, what a 90s lineup of, of heroes they had with Spider-Man and Firestar, Cloak and Dagger, yeah. Deathlock, Nightwatch, Captain America, Iron Fist. Iron Fist, Black Cat. 
Um, oh yeah, such a weird motley crew. Yeah, and even the villains like you have Carnage, Carrion, uh, Demogoblin, Shriek. Who else was in there? Uh, Spider Doppelganger. Spider Doppelganger. Just yeah. a it's just a and like no one else is in New York except for Spider Man. Yeah, basically through much of this event until Captain America. Until finally Captain America. In a great reveal too. Oh like yeah. Just when Spider Man's given up and he. But it felt like that happened every need... two issues was Spider Man and his pals losing and being all yeah. defeated and having to regroup and it just yeah, it was it just hit the same story beats over and over again. That's true. Uh, you got Morbius and Night Watch. Carnage. What? Bagley is so good in his depiction of some of these characters. Like his Carnage was so entertainingly very nineties, but all the same. The way that he drew him remarkably well. I don't know how I I, I tried. I don't I don't really draw. But I remember I was used to scribble and try to like draw my favorite characters, and I could never do Carnage to look anything half decent. But he no. looked great in the in Bagley's pants. Oh yeah, no, I forgot that there's a that's such a brilliant ripoff of Wolverine. Yeah, where uh, Carnage actually makes three claws out of a symbiote when he's about to hit Andy Rock. Mm. Yeah, the Bagley issues are the highlight of this story. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the way he makes Spider-Man look and all the action in, art, uh, in the artwork is fantastic. I just love his character designs. Even Tom Lyle, I, mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of Tom Lyle. He brings a different flavor. Each artist does bring a different flavor, but there is still a sense of consistency. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good story. No. It is 14 issues of Carnage and fighting Venom and Spider-Man. The first few issues are okay, and I kind of like... I like all the Carnage on, on Venom stuff. I enjoy the Spider-Man Unlimited number two just because there's a significant portion of the comic is just spent to Carnage is going crazy and 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 Venom's beating him down and there's a, a lot sure. of panels that are just given to Venom beating the crap out of Carnage That's and true. admittedly you know you, you talk about your guilty pleasures there's a, there's almost no more quintessential guilty pleasure for a comic book fan than just to read about a couple of characters knocking each other senseless mm. and that's what you get a lot of. Oh yeah. Now also because this is the early 90s, uh, Mary Jane and Peter have a lot of marital problems because they didn't know what to do with her. Uh, there's yeah. a, a flashback in the, well not a flashback but a description panel in um, Spider-Man Unlimited number two where uh, Peter's talking to his dad because at the time his dad was not yet revealed to be a robot. Yeah. Uh, Simulacra or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. Anyways, they have a, f- a shot of the Avengers of the time which is <laughs> Black Knight in his uh, with his jacket. You have Hercules with the weird body armor. You have uh, uh, Black Widow also with her flight jacket. You've got Thunderstrike with his flight jacket. And you got Mo- Cersei with her flight jacket, and then Vision coming out of the ground. That is a hilarious Avengers lineup. That stands with your your that's, JLA lineup. As that's a... Earth's mightiest heroes, <laughs> uh, for sure. Like, yeah, some of this stuff is just sloppy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, by the time the storyline finally ended, I I I don't even know what like. You have four really good, four fairly good artists. Uh, well, three really good, one fairly good yeah. uh, artists in the main books, and yet you end the book in unlimited, and you give it to Ron Lim and a bunch of also rands. Like I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's not the greatest thing you're ever going to read. In fact, I don't think if you've never read it, you probably shouldn't. No, uh, but on the other, hand, I, 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 I wonder. Was like ten years old, this was amazing, yeah. and then they made a video game based on it using the actual panels. So yeah. I can't. I can't read this without having the music from that game yeah, in my I head. Agreed. Like it is so. It's kind of like when you uh, when I play GoldenEye for sixty four. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is the movie and it are the same thing to me. Yeah. I mean, the music is all one, and it's just I can't think of one without the other. That's how I feel about Maximum Carnage as a story. And the thing about Maximum, like I do keep coming back to it. I don't, it, even though it's bad, it is one that I have read several times, and and <laughs> and every time I go back, and even when I don't fully read, look at Nightwatch, look at how awesome he is. Um, yeah. But even when I don't fully read every word, I do enjoy flipping through, going to the parts that I most enjoy, remembering what it was like to read the first time. And that's a lot of what we're talking about on this list. The reason why it's so 90s isn't just the fact that the 90s was a great time for this type of extremity and excess, but also it was a time in our lives as comic book readers um, that that these things were were kind of special, new, exciting things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we keep coming back and and reliving the feeling of seeing that for the first time. I'm sure a lot of the books that are on the shelf right now in 10 or 15 years, people may look back on as being sort of perhaps subpar, but somebody yeah. really feels strongly about it who's just experiencing it now. Oh, well, for sure. And what we're finally starting to see is more and more creators coming from this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, the fact that, like, Ben Riley, I didn't include Ben Riley or the Clone Saga anywhere no, in my list. I didn't even put Maximum Clonage in my honorable mentions. Uh, well, the reason why I didn't buy, put the Clone Saga on is that I'm not actually embarrassed by it. Yeah. I think it it was overly long and it suffered from marketing and getting involved. 
as did Maximum Carnage. But yeah. I think there's still a lot of good ideas in there. It just went on too long or they couldn't pull the plug. Yeah. Uh, but it, I'm not actually embarrassed by it. Whereas with Maximum Carnage, I can't really defend it on story merits because it doesn't have much of one. Carnage wants to kill people. Spider-Man wants to stop them. Venom wants to kill Carnage. Yeah. Spider-Man doesn't want Venom to kill Carnage. That's yeah. basically Repeat. Four, 14 issues of that. Add in a few other characters to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Doppelganger gets the worst death possible. Yeah. Kicked off a rooftop yeah. by Carnage. And he doesn't web himself to safety. Nope. He doesn't do anything. Just falls. He just hits the ground and dies splat. Yeah. Uh, and to date, we don't have a shriek in Heroclix yet. Yeah. Really sad, and she didn't win the fan vote. So, it, you know, I still think that we may get her sooner did, or later. Who, but. who did win the fan vote again? Was it Blink? Blink. Oh, of course, it yeah. was. It's Blink. It's unfortunate. Well, Maximum Carnage, number one with a bullet. Great for both of us. Yeah, for both of us. Sorry, I got confused about thinking that you. No, 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 no. Razor Warren. Yeah. No, no, I would have mentioned it earlier, but yeah, the the, the Maximum Carnage to me is is is, is quite The minute you had mentioned as a as a topic, uh, guilty pleasures, I'm like Maximum Carnage. Yeah. Yeah. That, that part wasn't hard to decide. Yeah. For sure. Any uh, final thoughts on on uh, Guilty Pleasures? Not really. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, part, part of the problem with this with this particular theme is that you don't know where to draw the line. And, 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 and as you say, sometimes you don't put the Clone Saga on there because you don't feel guilty. And I don't put, that's why I don't put, we talked about before the podcast, Onslaught or The Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. I don't think anyone feels that The Age of Apocalypse was, would be a guilty pleasure. It was maybe a little bit 90s, but it was, it was it's, very good. Yeah, you're right. It's 90s, but that's not always a bad thing. And yeah. some things from the 90s still hold up or still are good. Yeah. I like Fatal Attractions. I don't think it is something that deserves to be described a guilty pleasure because it had a lot of solid beats. Yeah. Some stuff was, again, very 90s and it had the excesses of the time period. But it's just like if you look at an 80s comic feeling very overly dark without needing to be or having a lot of yeah. crime fiction. I mean, it was just of that era. Or 60s having a lot of ridiculous kooky plots. I mean, that's not necessarily... It's it's just the time period. There's yeah. certain... Uh, the early 2000s, you'll have a lot of drawn-out storylines because uh, decompression was becoming well-known. Nowadays, I think there is a little bit of a movement against it, so you're seeing a little bit less. But a lot of decompression, a lot of writers becoming more important than artists. That's mm-hmm. the 2000s. So every era or every decade has its own kind of ebbs and flows on what works and what people are embarrassed about later. Yeah. Just the 90s, it's easier to point to, especially yeah. because it was the collapse of the industry at the time. So yeah. it's easier to make fun of it. And, the, of course, the other thing is that, you know, we comics are a medium where upon people like to talk to each other uh, it, it very much they, it creates followings and it creates super fans and super fans have discussions and people love to create rankings they love to judge each other for what you like um, you know it, it's one of these things where it, just like anything that interests you the most important thing is following something that you find engaging so like guilty pleasures is in and of itself kind of proof that we don't live fully insulated from the opinions of what people think we're reading the way that we should mm. um, but I think it's a good thing to follow give you know, give things a chance it, and, and if you like it then don't feel embarrassed by the reason you like it it's no different than listening to music or watching fan films or anything that you like you should never be embarrassed to like something um, eh, there's some things I don't think so I don't think you should be embarrassed to enjoy something I, you know you should always not, promote it I may not yeah I may not be embarrassed to enjoy it itself but the minute someone asks me what I'm watching I want to change the channel. That's true, but that, there's the difference between protecting people's view of you. But even then, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't like it. I like the idea of being able to stand behind what you enjoy because if you enjoy it, then it, it's it's right for you. Mm. Unless you know it's terrible, I think that's a little different. Then, if if you're yeah, actively if you watching it, it, if you enjoy it, it's like, terrible. That's wa- just I, as good. Yeah. Well, I guess that. But that's your reason for enjoying it. Yeah, I it's like the old Tick live action series. I love the Tick live action series because it's so bad. It could have been a lot. With Batman, well, it could have been a lot worse. Well, it could have been not funny. Um, yeah, but you know, like yeah, I don't know. There's, there's lots of things. I'm so surprised they ever let it happen. In a good, in a good, yeah. like, I'm glad they did. But yeah. I'm just, it's interesting that that even exists in the echelon of TV mm-hmm. and comic book adaptations. That's anyway, it. something for another day. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Uh, I got to thank Tom Kerr for joining me for this episode. My pleasure. Who knows when this episode will go up? Hopefully in August. But uh, this has been our top five guilty pleasure comics. And our defenses thereof. Rock and roll. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, if you actually, before I sign off, I should say, share uh, your top five uh, Guilty Pleasure comics with you. I want to know. I want to know what you guys 
think are, is, you know, if you agree with some of our picks, then let us know. Or if you have some other stuff, I'd love to hear what other people think. Yeah. Uh, so you can always post on the HC Realms, the thread for this episode, or you can uh, email me at comicshenanigans uh, at gmail.com if you don't feel like publicizing it to other people because I can understand <laughs> wanting to keep some things private. Indeed. Anyways, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.